The title of today's message is Something Better, Breaking Free from the Lies of Pornography and Adultery. It's not a topic that is warm and fuzzy, not a topic that, that uh, we necessarily gravitate towards talking about Sunday mornings. Because of the, the amount of, of sexual information that is in our culture and on the internet and on our television and on our movie screens and in the music that is streamed across uh, the radio waves and the internet, this is an important topic for us to talk about. It's a topic that the Apostle Paul addresses in Ephesians chapter 5 because he knew that he was writing to Christians that lived in a very similar culture. A culture that was inundated, that was surrounded by promiscuity, that was surrounded by permissiveness as far as people's sexuality and the types of behaviors that they were involved in. So Ephesians chapter 5 is very, very practical, very specific to what we're going through and what we're talking about here in our culture. Whether we're talking about, and what Paul addresses here is sexual immorality in general. Anything could fit under this category, whether you're talking about adultery, a married person cheating on their spouse, whether you're talking about uh, immorality before marriage, sexual relationship outside of marriage, or one of the most common issues that we face today, and that is pornography. If you were, uh, saw the uh, news headlines a week or so ago, you noticed that uh, one of the headlines stated that um, Playboy magazine was no longer going to publish Uh, nude photos in their publications, which on the surface, uh, when you just read that headline, you think, well, well, praise the Lord. That's, That's great news. When you read beneath the headlines, the reason for it is because free pornography is so readily accessible on the internet, they just simply weren't making money anymore. And so beneath what seems like a good headline is the reality that our culture is inundated with this stuff. There are almost one point billion internet searches for porn just this year alone. One in five mobile searches are for pornography. The porn industry generates $13 billion each year just in the United States. I read this week that 64% of Christian men, Christian men, and 15% of Christian women say they watch pornography at least once a month. Heartbreaking statistic that I read said that nine out of ten boys are exposed to pornography before the age of 18. Ninety percent of boys and 60 percent of girls. Sixty-seven percent of young men and 49 percent of young women say viewing porn is an acceptable way to express one's sexuality. Unless we think that this is just a spiritual issue, research tells us that it goes even deeper than affecting our relationship with God. Morgan Bennett published an article in which he, uh, he convincingly argues that neurological research has revealed that the effect of internet pornography on the human brain is just as potent, if not more so, than addictive chemical substances such as cocaine or heroin. 
In our culture today, we are facing an epidemic. And as believers, we are living in the midst of our culture. And we need to influence our culture for good and not be influenced, not be taught, not be drawn in by the behaviors and thinking of the world around us. And so the Apostle Paul was speaking to people in the exact same situation. And these are the words that he wrote to them. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 3. He says, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead... Let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partakers with them. For at one time you were in darkness, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. When anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. If you're following along in your notes, there are some blanks to fill out as we go along. First of all, in verses 3 and 4, we have the the command. The Apostle Paul gives us the command. He says, Let... Let there be no sexual immorality. He said, all impurity or covetousness, it should not even be named among you, as is proper among the saints. He covers the whole range of sexual sins using these Greek terms. And he says these things, these things shouldn't even be named among you. People shouldn't be able to go and say, hey, did you know so-and-so that goes to Brown Corners? Did you, did you know that, that they, they've been doing this? I know that's gossip and that sort of thing, but, but that's Paul's point is that, that when people talk about you, when people talk about your church, these topics here should not even come up. The first term he uses for sexual immorality is the Greek word pornea, which you can imagine what we get the the English word right from this Greek word here. It's the idea of any kind of uh, uh, sexual intercourse outside of marriage or unchastity, fornication. It can also refer to prostitution. The implication is is that it's it's covering any kind of behavior that's, that's not okayed by God. The next word he uses is impurity. And again, it's kind of, kind of a catch-all word. Anything that's filthy or dirty, it can be used to, to refer to refuse. And here he's using it to refer to a state of moral corruption. One writer said that the Greeks, among whom the Ephesians live, openly approved of such practices as prostitution and homosexuality. And in fact, in Athens, a great temple to Aphrodite the goddess of love was built with the prophets from the brothels. 
which were established in the city with this objective. To, to the Greeks, this was not the least bit strange, nor was it strange to combine what was regarded as a high, high moral standard in other areas with laxity in the area of your sexual morality. Paul says that what was perfectly acceptable in the surrounding society was not even to be hinted at among the believers. Paul was writing to people that knew the struggle that we face. That God's calling them to these high and holy standards and yet everybody around them seems to be reveling in these types of sins. And Paul says he he calls them out. From that type of behavior, he calls them to step away and says, let it not even be named among you. He also mentions covetousness, which, as we know, is a desire of something we don't have. And again, I think within the context, he's tying that into sexual sins that oftentimes, with regards to, 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 to uh, covetousness, we're, we're longing to have. And that's what, I mean, that's what pornography is. It's, it's dressing up things and, and presenting things that, that you can't have and that, that, that are, not, not, are not realistic. And it's causing you to want something in a coveting type of way. And in verse 3, he also uh, addresses sexually lewd conversation, coarse talk, crude jesting, all of this stuff. He kind of wraps it all up and he says, Christians... Let's not let this type of behavior be named among you. And so that is the command. But he also addresses the consequences. The consequences. He says in verses 5 and 6, he says, For you may be sure of this. You can take this to the bank. That everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of obedience. He says, I want you to be sure of this. This you can be confident in, that God is going to deal with these things. Christians, when we let sin in our life, and it happens so subtly, whatever sin that is, but within the context here, he's talking about sexual sin. Maybe it's just a glance. Maybe it's a a site that's not dedicated to pornography, but you know that there's going to be ads running up the side where you're going to get a little glance. And and it begins to open up the door. Or or, or maybe it's it's not pornography at all. Maybe Maybe it's a relationship with a coworker that you know you've let go just a little bit too far down the road. But but you really enjoy how he or she encourages you up. You know that when you go home, it's just stress and difficulty and frustration and, and noise. And but when but when you come to work and you hear this person talk to you, they, they, they really build you up and you feel good around them and, and you begin to to want to stay at work a little longer than than you than you're supposed to, and you'd rather be there than at home, and, and all of a sudden now you've let this, this friendship go down a road that begins to create more and more of a desire for something else. And he says you can be sure that sexually immoral behavior will, I mean, look what he says. You can be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. It sounds a lot like we said last week when we were reading from 1 Corinthians 6, through 9, 6 9 and 10. Remember, he listed a whole list of sins, a whole wide range of sins. And he says, if these things are part of your life, if this is who you are, he says, you don't have an inheritance in God's kingdom. 
If sin characterizes your life, if it so has so enveloped you, then he says there, there was no true change when you profess to know Christ. Because the Bible teaches that if you're a new creation, you're, you're no longer your old person. And as we said last week, it doesn't mean we're not going to struggle with temptation and sin. It doesn't mean that we're not going to do wrong things. But what it means is that our life's no longer going to be characterized by that old way of living anymore. And he says, for those whose lives are characterized by sexual immorality and covetousness, he says, you have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Let the weight of those words fall down because some of us, when we think about this, this thing, we think, oh, it's no big deal. It's just a little flirting. It's just a glance here or there. I'm not hurting anybody, am I? And these words tell us otherwise, that there are huge consequences. He says in verse 6, Don't let anyone deceive you with empty words. Our culture can tell you that it's okay Maybe your friends tell you that's okay. It's fine. You need to do this for you. It's all right. Everybody takes a peek from now and then. You're not hurting anybody. Just don't let your kids see it. And he says, no. Don't be deceived by those smooth talkers. Don't let this world soothe you into thinking that everything will be fine. He said, it's not fine. If your life is wrapped up in this bondage, to sexual immorality. He says, you have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Serious consequences. But thirdly though, Paul brings us to the change. He reminds us to the change that's taken place in your life. If you have trusted Jesus as your Savior and truly come to Him as your Lord, you're not who you once were. Look at verses 7-10. through 10. He says, therefore, do not become partakers with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Paul reminded us that the behavior that characterized our before Jesus days is a thing of the past. And just as a side note, if it was in your before Jesus days, if it was in your past, then we're not, I'm not talking to you. This is not an intention. This passage is, is not, was not written to dredge up things that you've been forgiven of, things that you have left behind you. I just, and that's just come to my mind because I was just talking to some friends this week and they had someone that was just trying to dredge up stuff from their, 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 their history that was long since confessed and put behind them. And if, if, if Jesus, listen, if, if, if people try to do that and, and there's shame and guilt going on, you can be certain that it's, that's, not, that's not God's Holy Spirit. That's the enemy. That's the enemy trying to take you back to a place that you have left behind. But what Paul, the people that Paul are talking to are the people that are trying to go back into the past and to bring it with them into the present. Are trying to hold on to some of these sins. Because for whatever reason, they're convinced that they'll be happier, that they'll be more fulfilled, that they'll be more content if they do so. But Paul says, you don't have to live that way because there's been a change. He says, you were darkness, but now you are light. Look at, look at that phrase. He doesn't, say, he doesn't just say, you were in the darkness, and now you are in the light. But he says, you are light. This is who you are now. You are a child of the king. You are no longer who you once were. 
You are no longer enslaved. You're no longer part of the bondage and the dominion of darkness. He, he says, you've been set free. You're now in the light. He says, how do you do this? How do you walk as children of the light? Well, he says at the end of verse 10, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Some of your translations may say investigate or examine or carefully determine. That's, that's how this idea is. He says, I want you to, to dig down deep into God's word and examine what pleases him. We know that, that living this way, pornography, adultery, sex outside of marriage, is not God's way. It's sin. So as believers then, to combat those desires and those temptations, he says, investigate or try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. When we are meditating on God's Word, when we are pursuing the truth of Scripture, those things are going to look a lot less tempting. When our mind is saturated with the beauty of Jesus Christ, and we're going to talk about this more in a minute, those things begin to look like what they are. Filthy, poultry, dirty substitutes. Shameful things. But it all begins in how we think. John Stott says, what, we, uh, we, what governs, what we are governs how we think, and how we think determines how we act. And if we come back to this, that I am a new creation in Christ, that all those old things are to be left behind, and I am, I am now a child of God with His Holy Spirit dwelling within me. I no longer have to live that way any longer. And so then, from the change, He goes to the call into the light. The call into the light. So He says, you're this new person. And I want you to be this way. So he says in verses 11 through 14, he says, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it's shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. <laughs> it's, we, uh, we have a three-year-old right now that is uh, not feeling well, and he's not sleeping super Super great, not as well as I'd like him to. And so sometimes we hear that call in the middle of the light, in the middle of the night, Daddy, Mommy. And um, since my side of the bed is closer to the room, I tip, typically get elected to be that individual. And, and um, I've discovered that in the middle of the night, uh, light can be a wonderful thing. Because we have this strategically placed hope chest on the way that I have discovered, especially my left pinky toe, has discovered that um, darkness is not my friend uh, in those types of situations. Light is a good thing. Even if it's just taking my cell phone and shining the light on the path, whatever it is, <laughs> it certainly uh, brings a lot less discomfort and pain and agony. Because then I'm the one crying for mommy. <laughs> I have it worst. Help me first. It's amazing, just a, a little pinky toe in the middle of the night. It can ruin everything. It's like devastating. You feel like you're in Saving Private Ryan or something. It's like bad. <laughs> the light is a good thing. 
But when we're in the middle of sin, when we're flipping through pages on our smartphone and websites, when, when we're trying to have a, a hushed conversation with, with a, a co-worker of the opposite sex on Facebook late at night, we prefer the darkness because we can hide. Sin always prefers the darkness, whether it's actual darkness or, here in this case, spiritual darkness. But the light is a good thing. The Apostle Paul teaches us through God's Holy Spirit that when the light comes on and exposes what we're doing wrong, it's a good thing. It might be painful at at first. And we might think, "I I don't want the light because people will find out. What will my family think? What will my friends say to me? People are going to be so disappointed if they know this. And we need to push all that aside. Because it's not what about other people think. It's about what God thinks. And we stand before an audience of one and, and we're accountable to Him. And if that means people talking about us behind our backs, if that means hushed conversations, or if that means people ostracizing or sleeping on the couch for a few days, a few weeks. We need to accept the consequences of our sin. Because coming into the light is far better than staying in the darkness. Being in the light is the way to go, and it's the way God calls us to. And so here... We are being called by God. This is not just God speaking to the Ephesians. This is God speaking to us. And our challenge this morning asks us if any of us are in the darkness. If any of us have been hiding these sins. Maybe they're not so hidden. Maybe everybody in our our home knows. I want to just give us some real practical applications. If you find yourself struggling in one of these areas. And maybe you're sitting there thinking, I have no clue what he's talking about. I might be tempted to gossip. I might be tempted to to be jealous sometimes. But I I just don't face these sexual temptations. Then you need to pray your socks off for the people around you. That's that's your application. And pray that God will continue to protect your family and your marriage. Because I guarantee you that there are a lot of people in this room right now who are really struggling. There are people that know that this temptation on a daily basis, maybe a moment-by-moment basis, this is a battle they fight. Literally, moment-by-moment. For some of us, we live with someone that we know has just been given over to this for years. Maybe it's a spouse that's been cheating for a long time. Maybe it's, maybe it's a husband who has just got porn all over the computer, all over his browser history, unless he deletes it every day. This is a very real struggle, very personal struggle for many people in this room. And for those of you who are listening, I want to give you some really practical pointers to apply Ephesians chapter 5. First of all, a few tools that we can put in our toolbox to combat these things. The first one is confession. Confession. 
has to start here. You need today to go before God and confess your sin to Him. We've quoted it a million times up here. 1 John 1.9 is one of the most beautiful verses in all the Bible. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It does not say if we confess our sins, He's going to beat us up for a while. If we confess our sins, He's going to heap up loads of guilt for a little while. If, he, if we confess our sins, He's going to turn His back and say, I can't believe you. Who are you? I don't even know you. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But probably the confession is not going to just stop there. This is where it's going to get difficult. This may be a situation where you've got to sit down with a spouse. You need to sit down with your wife and, and tell, your, tell her that, that you uh, haven't been working on the finances late at night when you're on the computer. You've been doing something else. You might have to sit down with your husband and say, listen, I've, I, I've, I just have to confess this relationship that I've had at work. This person that I've spent way too much time with. This person that I've been, been chatting with and IMing and, and texting way too much. This is hard. If you've talked to someone who has gone through these steps, this is, this is one of the most painful but one of the most rewarding steps of God bringing you healing. Because you know what? All of a sudden now, you're on the path to rebuilding the trust that you've been destroying for all these weeks, months, or maybe years. It needs to start with confession. But as you're struggling with this temptation, there are some other things that are going to help you in, in the process. Sometimes it's important to be reminded of the consequences. When that temptation rises up, when you're tempted to go to that website, when you're tempted to go meet that, that friend, quote-unquote friend for coffee. It's important to think through the consequences. In Proverbs chapter 5, Solomon warns of the wayward woman. And, and if you read through that passage, part of the deterrent that he uses as he speaks to his son is the consequences that will inevitably come if he pursues this relationship. We need to be reminded of the loss that takes place. The loss of family. The loss of friendships. Consequences can be a powerful reminder to flee temptation. We said earlier, Scripture. When you have your nose in God's Word, when you are mining God's Word, when you're taking time to memorize God's Word, Scriptures will flood your hearts at the times of temptation. Be people of the book. Fourthly, accountability. Accountability. If you are battling any kind of temptation, really, but I would say especially sexual temptation, accountability is a must. You need to have somebody in your life that can check up on you and ask you nosy questions. Like really legitimate questions and that you've made a promise to them that you're going to be honest with them um i also want to highly recommend if if you're jotting notes a a website that is great uh to aid an accountability relationship it's called covenanteyes.com 
CovenantEyes.com. What this does is it's a, relation, it's a website that you can log in and, and, and sign up for, and it will send all of your browsing history to any of your accountability partners so that they can see exactly what you've been doing online. And that makes you think twice before you begin logging on and, and surfing some of those pages because you know that somebody else is going to see exactly where you've been. I also want to add in this that on Tuesday nights we have a, a group that meets Celebrate Recovery and there are going to be people there that can sit down and you can talk with and that you can trust and share what your struggles are. Uh, right here at the church on Tuesday nights, we have Celebrate Recovery. If this is something where you just have been uh, in bondage to, what a tremendous place to go to have other believers encourage you, believers who have been in the exact same place. Number five, I want to encourage you, if, if this is a real struggle, you might need to take some radical me- measures. Maybe this is a battle for a long time. This is an ongoing struggle. You're going to have to take some radical measures that are going to probably look a little bit weird to people around you. It might mean cutting off all internet and cable in your house. It might mean getting rid of your cell phone, your smartphone, and going to one of the old-fashioned ones. It might mean cutting off some relationships completely. If, If this is a battle in your life, you need to ask yourself, how important it is, is it for me to, to see me win this battle against sin? How serious am I about this? Wherever it is, you, you might have to have someone carpool with you to work every day so you don't stop off at the store. Whatever the temptation is, be willing to take radical measures. Number six, you, you need this tool in your toolbox. You need hope. We talked about this last week. If you are battling sin and you want to stop, you need to remember that God has the power to change people. And if you've ever bought into the lie of, well, I'm just this way, I'll never change, you need to to replace the lie with the truth that Jesus changes lives. Just, Just take some time and flip through the pages of this book this week. And see the type of turnaround, the types of people that, that Paul saved. The, the man who was writing this to, Ephesians, to the Ephesians was a murderer. He killed people who wanted to follow Jesus. The Apostle Paul was the like, number one enemy of God. And God completely changed his life around. If God can do that in Paul's life, God can free you from pornography. He can set you free from a relationship that you shouldn't be having. He can set you free from covetousness. You need to have this hope. Remind yourselves of the great hope. And then finally, we need to remember that there's someone better. That someone is Jesus. You see... Unless we begin to see that God is better than any of the sins that Satan is throwing out there on his table. Unless we see that the banquet at God's table is far better than the the filthy, rotten, molding scraps that Satan has to offer. We will constantly be going back to the old way of life. Unless we see that Jesus Christ in a relationship with him. That treasuring God is far better than any, any, 
any temptation out there, we'll keep wanting to go back. My brothers and sisters in Christ, I I want you to be encouraged today. It's not easy speaking on a subject like this. But it's so important because as I've sat across the hallway in that office, I've talked to more people than I can count who are wrestling with this thing right here. More marriages break up. More families are destroyed. And more believers fall by the wayside with this sin, I think, than any other. And so I preach on this not to stir up guilt or to make everybody uncomfortable. But I preach on this because I love you. And, and I know that God wants our holiness. And he knows some of the strongholds that are in our life. And for some of us sitting here this morning, this right here is a, is a stronghold that Satan has. So we're going to close in prayer. And and what I want to do, we don't do this very often, but I just want to make sure that I extend an invitation to anyone who might want to come down front and pray. I'm going to to stay down here after the service. If you don't want people to see you and you just want to kind of slowly make your way up here as as people are going out after the song, I I, I just want to be up here to pray with you, talk with you, encourage you in any way at all possible. So we're we're going to pray about this. And if God is at work on your heart, And you know that this is something that you've allowed for too long in your life. And today's the day that God wants you to begin to start afresh. I want to talk with you and pray with you and just encourage you a little bit. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we're talking about a sin this morning, about immorality that that affects all of us in so many ways and shapes and forms. Maybe it's a spouse Maybe it's the internet. Maybe it's, it's a teenager here this morning that needs to, to be reminded to wait until marriage. God, wherever, wherever people are at today, wherever we find ourselves, God, I pray that the work of your Holy Spirit would draw us into the light and that we wouldn't be afraid Because that's where we're going to find truth. That's where we're going to find forgiveness. That's where we're going to find peace and wholeness with Christ. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.